This is Shudders Inc. with Bruce Williams and Glenn Lavender. Hi and welcome to episode 511 of Shudders Inc. This is Bruce Williams from ShuddersIncPodcast.com and joining me from the place that's not in lockdown, from Melbourne, Victoria, it is Mr. Glenn Lavender. How are you? Yep. <laughs> it's been two weeks, I'd expect you to be happier than that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you guys are out of lockdown? Yep. Fantastic. <laughs> so are, how yeah. far are you allowed to travel now? I honestly couldn't tell you. Oh, okay. I haven't bothered. Um, <laughs> got, well, they're, got they're so removed, used to being moved in, you forgot. No, what no, it's like. I, think you, I think it's. I think it's anywhere in the states. <laughs> right. Okay. Cool. Yeah, because my wife's going away this weekend with the girls' weekend. Nice. And that's probably about a hundred odd kilometres away, so that's okay. Yeah. I took the girls out fossil hunting on Sunday, and that was about forty k from my place. Yeah, went to the old people's home. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, actual, actual fossil hunting. Okay. And so, so that was the first proper outing in a while. So it was. It was quite so, are nice. these fossils that have been placed there deliberately for the kids to find, or no, no? It's it's actually uh, one of Australia's best fossil sites is uh, Cliff Face in um, downtown Melbourne, basically. Well, in suburb- Melbourne suburbia. Wow. So it's this beach where these cliffs are slowly eroding out 65 million-year-old fossils. Wow. And you go along the beach and uh, see what you can find. Nice. And what did you find? Uh, well, I told the girls on the way down. Yeah, It's like, okay, look, let's be really ambitious and try and get one each. Right. You know? Uh, yeah, it, it, let's hope we can find at least one, but hopefully one each. Yeah. So we, we work, work our way down the beach. My eldest daughter steps onto the beach and she goes, there's one. Like literally three seconds after after putting a foot down, not even that, two seconds after putting a foot down, and we found over seventy. What? Uh, basically, these uh, these I can't remember the exact name of them now, but they're um, fossilized sea urchins or a type of sea urchin. Right. You could also get sharks' teeth and whales' teeth and whale bones. I found a jawbone of what I'm thinking it might have been an a, a, a sixty-five million year old. Wallaby or wombat or you know a little fossilized bit of a jail bo- uh, um, right. um, jawbone. Yeah, right. And yeah, but you can, but said uh, yeah, they found like um, yeah sixty odd million year old penguins. Wow, skeletons. Uh, yeah, giant kangaroos that of course extinct. Uh, and dugongs. They actually found dugongs. Right. Which of course dugongs are a tropical species, and we right. are far from the tropics. Yeah, but it shows exactly. what the what the climate was like sixty five million years ago. Yeah. So, so no, that was that was that was an awesome day. So uh, we got about seventy. After my my kids, you know, found them so easily that it's you know, amazing eyesight. Yeah. And then these other kids came along. There, a bunch of little kids came along. So they took their uh, these little kids around and helped them find a whole bunch oh, of them as nice. well, which was really good. Yes, that was really nice. Nice. And then we went through the seventy. We, we found pretty put about forty back. Right. Just sort of flung them around the beach for other people to find and nice. kept the the best ones for ourselves. Excellent. So that was a, yeah, it was a, that was a, an awesome day out. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so something very different. We've never done that before, so that was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, so that's, 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 that's sort of all I've done the last two weeks. I did a did a talk for Melbourne Camera Club. Yeah. That was a Zoom one. That wasn't wasn't my best. It was a bit. It was a bit clunky. I was a bit. I don't know. Just didn't <laughs> have the flow going. Right. And then because I've been I've been doing uh, little cartoon animatronic uh, little little characters. From my photos or your photos, as the case. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
It's this little app where you can put a photo in it, either you know, like Leonardo da Vinci's you or cartoonifies you and stuff. Incredibly, incredibly, I might add, the way it does it is, and oh, the speed it does it is incredible yeah. for, for a, a free app. Yeah. Uh, it's really quite amazing what technology can do. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Within a, within the fractions of a second, it's you know, it's cutting out backgrounds, it's completely animating, or not, not, but completely you know, morphing you into a cartoon character. Yeah. The press of one button is, is really quite quite phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, kind of lets you think where the future of anim- uh, editing of images could possibly go. Yeah. Know? Totally. That's, and what's your two weeks been like? Uh... Max has been given his induction date for the army. Oi. So that's pretty scary. Yeah. Um, so yeah. He's, when he'll, is it? Uh, How a, long a, month, got? a month away. Oi. He'll, <laughs> yeah. So a month from now, we've got to take him up to Newcastle and put him on the bus and uh, wave goodbye. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. How and long? How long? So it's basic training, is it? So basic training goes for twelve weeks. Yeah, and uh, he's got all this paperwork that he's come home with that says that he should start on multivitamins now, and he should be Jeez. aiming to you know do th- the over the next four weeks. They've given him an exercise plan that he should be aiming to, at a very minimum, achieve. Um, because if he's not achieving that by the time he gets to Kapuka, then he's in for a hell of a rude shock. Uh, So, yeah, it's all very, very full. So let let me guess, it's more more sort of, um, you know, sort of full on than my exercise routine, which is get up out of bed, lay on the couch. Uh, Yes, it's a little more energetic than that. (laughs) What, their breakfast as well? Yes, that's right. So yeah, so that's pretty uh, pretty excited. He'll be excited, I'm sure. He is. He is very excited about it. Uh, I don't think he realises just what he's letting himself in for, but he is excited about it nonetheless. So yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so that's been the major thing I think in the last couple of weeks. That's hmm. pretty pretty much it. Just just yeah, working, working, working. We're in lockdown. Oh. Well, not quite in lockdown, but very close to lockdown. But driving to work this morning, there was, yeah. like, no traffic on the road. I was, well, nice. I was like, oh, I love this lockdown. Well, so many offices are allowing the staff to go back into work. Yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, very quiet on Sydney's roads this yeah. morning. So Crazy times. I hope that all stays, you know, gets under control quickly. And Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can avoid any, any more restrictions than you're already getting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've been very lucky. I mean, we've, you know, dodged it pretty well so far. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll just see how we go. Don't rub it in, dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, as a country, we've been very lucky. I mean, but, oh, uh, totally. totally. You know, it, it's, um, yeah, we all know the biggest fear is not the virus itself. It's the potential for to continually to morph into something else that could yeah. be far worse. Yeah. And... Yeah, even a a five percent increase in in how much it affects people's health uh, will completely over overrun all of our health systems. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's not so much you know mortality rates or it's just a cold. It's just like, well, what if it turns out it turns into something worse? Yeah. and what if it just gets even a bit worse? We can't handle handle even that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you if people didn't get the message when you saw uh, yeah triage tents and morgues being put up in Central Park in New York, yeah. you know, they're, no, they're, they're beyond hope, basically, because, I mean, that's, that's a, 
a, a slight foretaste of what could happen if we just get you know, even just a three or four percent increase in its its um, its potential to not even kill but just make people sick. Yeah, because yeah, hospitals just can't handle that stuff. You know, it's hard enough to go get a knee operation or something or a bloody yeah, toenail taken out or yeah, yeah. 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 Apparently, if you want to wax, though, that's quite easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if you want to back sack and crack, you can go straight. Not to the hospital, obviously. Yeah, there's other other centres for that. <laughs> not that I know. No. Shall we so, go with some let's photography do, let's stuff? Let's just do this thing because I'm 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 in a hurry tonight. So okay. All right. So I will start off with we've got a bunch of emails and comments that have come in over the last two weeks. Hang on. Yeah. Really? Yes. That's we awesome. Have. Thank you, people. Yes, absolutely. So I'll start with Kevin McKibben, who said, Greetings, gents. I found Glynn's tirade on the death of photography of great interest. I get stuck on words and language, though. Is it the death of photography or the death of the photographer? Given that photography is the process and the photographer the creative element. Photography is my favourite art form and my favourite hobby, but I do not yet consider myself a photographer in that I still have far too much to learn. It appears that the death, quote-unquote, of both photography and the photographer are on the horizon, at least in the commercial world. Given the growth in AI-driven software that will eventually allow a business to pick and click their way through a menu to have the software pull and combine images from some online repository to satisfy their requirements, no photographer or photo session needed. The images used in such a case may well be creative photographs from dedicated individuals, but is the final AI image photography? When a snapshot on a phone is edited by an AI system so that the output is a decent photograph regardless of the initial image, is that photography where do you see this heading thanks guys kevin annapolis Maryland. death death i've been to annapolis annapolis is a beautiful place yeah nice my best man from my wedding is from maryland right I got told of calling maryland apparently that's not a yeah. <laughs> yes. i get a bit, a bit funny about that maryland yeah. um death of course a complete that's a death hmm. you know but here's the thing death to anyone who's not interested in photography Death commercially, for sure, because if you why pay a photographer and a and let's say you had to do a a front cover shoot, yeah, for some, a magazine. Why pay for studio time for creatives and, ma- and models, hair, makeup, photographers, editing time when a computer can do it for you? Do you honestly reckon it'll get that far, Bruce? Just this we just talked a minute ago. I'm taking silly photos. I took your headshot. From, from Shutter Zinc, yeah. where your head is absolutely tiny, yeah. pressed one button, and it completely changed how you look into a, into a cartoon character yeah. in one second on my phone. I know. So imagine what real technology yeah, with real yeah, development yeah. is going to be able my, to do. My point is that there will always be those clients and along with the clients, the advertising agency creatives who will go, this is the image that we need and it's got to be this kind of space and it's got to be this kind of model and they've got to be looking this way and it's got to be lit that way and there's yeah. got to be these Type props. it up, press the button. What? Type it up, press the button. Not easy to do that than get it all together, to get all those elements together. It's much easier to type in. But including including Absolutely. the product? Scan the damn thing. Where, yeah. where did the product come from? Not It wasn't miraculously imagined. 
they designed it on probably on a computer program or they drew it out. It exists probably digitally already yeah. anyway. It's going to make it a 3D CAD yeah. product and bang, it's done, you know. <laughs> they, you know, and, the, <laughs> and it's going to be damn sight easy because the computer will be able to do it all for you. That's the thing. We're, 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 and here, and, okay, let's not say death, let's say coma, okay, that for a period of okay. time... Yeah. The desire to have the latest, greatest look, the best, and is going to all. Oh, we want that look, and it'll be all that computer generated. So all the high end stuff's going to go that way for quite a while, because yeah, you won't have to starve models anymore. You yeah, you can you can have exactly the same shot with every skin shade you want. Every every just press of a button, everything you could possibly your entire worldwide campaign done with one press of a button. Okay, let's say six six presses of buttons. Um, Whereas you try and do that, that you know, instead of being a million dollar uh, shoot campaign, you're doing it for five thousand or ten thousand. Yeah, it's a huge difference. So I say coma because everything goes in shifts, and then someone will want to go retro. Like people want to know who want to use film. I want to go retro and shoot a real person. Then I'll blow the cut. So the only photographers that, are, and I use the term loosely, are going to survive uh, the ones on the front of Hello Magazine. Ah, oh, Princess Bueller, or I don't know what their names are, Prince. Uh, princess, so right. uh, uh, she was picking her nose at a coffee shop this week. I got a photo. Yeah, the, the, so so paparazzi will still because people still put a yeah you know, be uh, obnoxiously looking to people's lives. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. So the so the photographer, as in Kevin's uh, situation, will still exist because they do it for a passion to hopefully only please themselves, and they won't probably get a lot of joy out of pressing a button. And making something good, yeah. but I suggest that the market for his work, for any of our work, is going to be more and more niche all the time, or niche, depending on which country you live in, to only fellow travellers of the passion for photography and family members. In yeah, you know, so yeah, yeah, the circle is going to draw back in as to who's actually going to be interested in your work. Because you know, your work will not be remotely yep. you know, interesting, stand out to anybody else because everything else in the world will be. And if I can interject with uh, one thing that I was going to talk about tonight because it's extremely relevant, yep. and my heading is, did I mention dead? Uh, it's the uh, winners of the International Portrait Photographer of the Year Awards, uh, which is an Australian competition. Okay. So I've got the link there for it, but I went to the comments. And he, so he... Of course, it is. of course you did. So, first person, mixed <laughs> bunch of photos. Number two, number three, nope. A try at depicting a, a try at depicting emotion. One hundred percent fail in my humble opinion. Doesn't say very humble. Um, uh, do not look genuine. <laughs> better actor needed. Number four, okay. Number five, beautiful but not a special picture. Number six, what? I do not get it. Number seven, quite ordinary. Number eight, the first really good one. I really like this one. Nine. Nine, fun what? for 10 seconds, then <laughs> meh. Number, uh, number 10, number four is better. Number 11, okay. Number 12, okay. Number 13, <laughs> this one I like. Uh, it, is so, uh, it is so like a painting, you can almost feel the heat. I'm not sure quite what that means. Uh, number 14, <laughs> tourist image. Yes, the bird is impressive. Uh, so if it was unique, it might have been okay, but it isn't. There are hundreds and thousands of pictures like this one. So two that I really like and three that are okay. <laughs> And the and the one that they thought was the best was the most snapshot. Yeah, and then of the uh, he comes back in a minute. Hang on a sec. Uh, next person does Mongolian eagle hunters are the new Antelope Canyon, which I thought was pretty good. 
Uh, and then someone else commented, or Chinese cormorant hunter, same thing. And then next one, the Kazakh, yeah. Kazakh eagle hunter has been photographed so many times already as part of paid tourist tours to this region. Nothing original. There are hundreds of similar photos on Google. Then he puts a link to his Google with all the all the pictures. Not sure how that made it as a finalist. The next one, the Kazakh Mongolian falcon is heavily photographed subject. I have a few of him myself. As usual, it's clear from the comments that on DP uh, DP review, this is readers uh, that DP review readers could have done much better themselves using their camera phone or an Instamatic. No surprises here. Then another pompous <laughs> photography awards competition with mostly pompous entries showcasing how affluent middle class art visionaries, and that's term being used very loosely, can turn the Photoshop denial to eleven. Twenty years ago, it was another twenty homeless guy street photos of the winners. This now it's all these uh, travel photos. The people in these photos are just props. Are uh, pictures of West, uh, regular westerners in everyday settings just not different enough? And it goes on. So that's just a, a small, a small smattering yeah. of. It. So is, is photography dead? Well, I mean, it, it's it just follows trend, 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 trend. At the very, yeah, everyone wants to do exactly the same image or the same style of image or capture the same thing that they've seen, a la the Mongolian eagle hunter, a la the homeless guy in the yeah. street, a la Antelope Canyon, yeah, with a shaft of light, and hopefully you'll get a little shadow, a little, little, little bit of dust that looks like a person, so you can sell it for like a million dollars. Yeah, all, all this, all this stuff. I think we're at a crossroads for what we actually want to make photography be going forward. Yeah. And of course right. that means not everyone will be have any, any form of consensus, but the people who look at this stuff and see another tent lit up in front of the Milky Way with the torch shining at it and just want to put their head through a wall. They're the ones that are probably going to be the most going to get lost to photography. Right. And more than likely they're the ones who could have changed it. Why do, why do you say that? Because they're not going out photographing the tent lit up at night in front of the Milky Way with a torch pointing at it. Right. They're looking for different. They're wanting to do different. They're wanting to see different. Yeah. And all the others are, oh, I like that. I want to do that. Let me do that. I'm doing that. I've got that. Next. Yeah. You know, so the ones who are losing to the art, remember, this is all just free-form thinking. None of this is planned. I've got no idea where my thoughts are going. But the ones that we, the ones that who feel that way, are the ones who will be dispirited by it all, and probably go and take up some other painful hobby like golf. <laughs> and 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 maybe the next truly original photographers lost to us. Right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Exposure exposure to millions of photographs is not probably a very good thing for up and coming, especially young photographers. Imagine, imagine, imagine you're of that, you know, you're 20 now, 18 to 20 now. Uh, so yeah. you've only ever grown up in the Instagram, Facebook world yeah. and only ever been influencers and all the other stuff. And you've only ever seen Brazilians of these types of photographs. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Where, yeah. How, how is that going to impact what you think is art, what you think is, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, later in this episode, we are going to be talking to the daughter of a cousin of mine. Uh, Celia is 23, 
and she has just embarked on a career as a professional photographer. Uh, and uh, I, I won't spoil the the inv- interview by paraphrasing it all now, but you should because I'm not going to listen to it. I want to know what she says. <laughs> when I look at her work, uh, I see a dis- I see quite a a distinctive look that when I see her stuff, I go, that's Celia stuff. And part of it's the colour palette. And it's what? Celia what? Celia, C-E-L-I-A, Cole, C-O-L-E. Celia Faith Photo on Instagram or celiacolephotography.com. Yes, I had a chat with her last night, pre-recorded, ready to slot into this episode. Now, I'm not saying that her stuff is unique and has never been shot before, but I'm saying she's developing a style that is her own. And I, th- and I say, good honour, go for it. You yeah, know, wish her all the best with it. But anyway, we'll be talking to her later in this episode, so I don't want to jump the gun too much. <laughs> I, 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 in, uh, you invited me by text the other day to, to, if I wanted to be on the interview, and I didn't yep. see the message, so, and I'm glad I didn't because I'd hate to go on there and my negativity. <laughs> but but I've got to say, Bruce, looking at her photos, I feel completely opposite to you. Okay, that's fine. Because and and here's the thing, and, and, and this is no slight whatsoever on Celia's statement. And you know what, Celia is more than likely extremely possible to be successful because of how she shoots and who her target market is. Right. But I could show you a thousand Instagram profiles that all, uh, at the glance of what you see, like just twelve images in a grid, all yep. have that same palette. Because the way yep. you lay out your images on Instagram these days is all palette based, and how it all looks as a bigger picture rather than individual. And, and that's and I, I, so all I see is the same stuff I, without even looking at. So I'm not even picking on her photos. I'm not even looking at what the content is. I'm yep. just looking at the overall palettes, and all I see is the same of another thousand Instagram pages that I wouldn't have looked at because all I see is the same tone. Okay. There's no there's no variety of tone. I mean, there's a lot of, of oh, there's a lot, a lot of high key, a lot of whites, a lot of, and and the reason why I say she would be, she could be very successful is once again, I haven't looked, even looked at her photos. I couldn't tell you what her photos are. Even I see the surf, but I'm not seeing any details. I'm not looking deep. Okay, but her target market are all the people who see that online, and they want their version of that for their own personal photo of themselves or whatever. Yeah, to keep recreating the same everything out there looks the same. Yeah, so her market, and, and, and because there's so much of it out there that looks exactly like this, she's got a lot of customers, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't mean it's a bad thing to be the same or to follow a trend or to, from a business point of view, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. But I'm talking about the, the, the artist, uh, the, yeah, who, who's maybe just like Kevin, doing it for himself, yep. not for to provide images, well, not yeah, not not to provide images for others, but because yeah, he's doing it out of a passion to to shoot for himself, mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily just go and do the same thing that everyone else is doing, because I don't think there's any gratification in doing that. Right. Mm. I, I wish her well though. Yeah. Um, did she? Did how long has she been going for? Uh, well, she's twenty three now. She picked up a camera when she was sixteen. She sort of yeah you know, went and did a. So in this day and age, she's a vet. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and the surf stuff was really her her gateway into it. And again, I feel like I'm 
you know, jumping the gun on the interview, but you know, she she started on that stuff. That was a, a passion for a while, and she's now moved into wedding photography. So, and once again, that tonal palette is every wedding well. is way weddings look at the moment. Yeah, you, you don't see low key wedding photos very often. No, yeah, unless you're Jerry Johannes. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, you see that tone. My my friend Kristen Cook, phenomenal photographer, wonderful photographer. That's her wedding look as well, you know. But that's yeah, that's good business. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, and and you want to be able to recreate that over and over, and that's also good business. Um, I I I'll, still come back to what I said a couple of weeks ago or three weeks ago, whenever it was, and and that is that when you are starting out and you are developing your style. I still think it is perfectly valid to mimic the photographers you look up to as you develop your skill set. Because in working through that process and learning how to mimic that look, you are then teaching yourself how to play outside of that fence as well. How? Well, because... By mimicking a different photographer who's got a different look to that person. Sorry. Then by mimicking a different photographer that looks to the one you so you you've mimicked this photographer and learned that skill set, so now I'm going to mimic this other photographer. And but the point and is, to learn that in the process, you're, you're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes as we're trying to learn a new skill, and some of those mistakes will lead you off in other directions. It might it might not have been what you were trying to achieve at that moment in time, but you go, hang on, but hang on, I could even though it was a mistake for what I was trying to do. In situation A, I could potentially follow this off to a potential situation B where it's a completely different look that, you know, has come out of the experience of doing. So based on that, couldn't also you just go out and take photos and the mistakes you make lead you down the path that take you to be not trying sure. to mimic anybody in the slightest, but just go sure. out and take photos. So, so why the mimic in the first place? Look, I'm just saying that... I know, I'm, I'm, I'm being devil's advocate, It's good to though. be inspired by if, if you, no, But if your, your, your argument is, well, if you mimic, you might make mistakes and, and go on a better tangent, your own tangent. Well, if you don't mimic in the first place, A, you might get there faster <laughs> <laughs> and by making the same mistakes. Like you follow the same path. Uh, but, but too many photographers will fall into that not following the mistake... And it will just jump from style to style. And, and the, right. the very definition of style to me means rut. If you yeah. have a style, it means you are creatively dead. You are not changing. <laughs> You're not changing. You're just doing the same thing over and over again. It depends over what period of time you keep that style. Oh, absolutely. But if you look back at your work two years ago, it looks pretty much the same. Yeah. And that's your style. And people are booking it because that's your style. Once again, for business, that makes sense. Yeah. As a photographer, if you're if you're photographing the same poses on the same beaches with the same light or the same rocks in the foreground of the waterfall <laughs> with blurry water, yeah. you know, that's just another waterfall with blurry water. <laughs> maybe it's taller, I, maybe it's shorter. Maybe that rock's got more green on it, but it's the same Whilst we're discussing shot. all of this, I do want to bring up the fact that I was listening to a podcast about audio uh, this, this was about a week ago, and one of the, uh, I, th- I think it was a listener question that, that had been posed to the host of this podcast, and the question was, what's better, quality or quantity, in regards to execution on the part of the creative? 
And he said, quantity, every time. And and as I was listening to this, I'm like, say what? You're saying quantity over quality? And he then went on to explain that there had been some... Uh, a, a test case done with a bunch of university students who had to make pottery coffee cups or something. It was something like that. And basically they said to one group of students, you get to make one coffee cup, but you've got, you know, three weeks to do it or four weeks to do it or whatever. The other group were told, produce as many coffee cups as you can in the next three weeks, right? And the group who did the multiple coffee cups ended up iterating on their work as they went. They worked out the things that worked and the things that didn't work. And so where they got to in three weeks was a 10th generation coffee cup that was much better than the first generation coffee cup, whereas the the group of students who only produced one single coffee cup had not had that chance to iterate, which I thought was an interesting concept of you know quantity will will outstrip quality in the sense that you have this ability to refine your process and get better over time (laughs) but hang on a sec it's such a loosely defined bloody okay what were the rules okay how much time were each group allowed you've got three weeks to make a cup but you're only there 10 minutes a day You've got three minutes and you've got to make one cup. You've got three you've got three weeks to make a cup, you've got ten minutes a day, you've got to make as many as you can. I can tell you, if they're only doing ten minutes a day, they're not gonna make very many cups. They're not gonna learn many, many lessons, they're not gonna develop many, many different skills, because the time they're allotted to actually do the work is so limited. You know what I'm saying? Do you uh, well, if you've only got to make one cup over three weeks and you've got twenty four seven to do it, yeah. you're gonna and I, and I guarantee you they don't have to make one, but how many did they have to... Did they start making and scrap, start making and scrap, start making... So they make the same lessons? I don't know. Because at the end of the day, you have to provide one cup. <laughs> but you might have made 30 in the way to finalising that one cup. That was well, like, so, I mean, as an, an, as an analogy... For that. I don't know. I, I know, so I'm saying, as an analogy, it, 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 it's, it's flawed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you because know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't answer the actual questions you're really after. Yeah. yeah, you tell a songwriter you're going to write 30 songs in the next two weeks. Yeah. You know, that's not necessarily going to give him time to hone the words, the content, the because the, the, he's just trying to make song, 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 song. You've got three weeks to write one beautiful song. Mm-hmm. You can, you can you know, rip, scratch, out, scratch out lines and rewrite that word better scratch, get, and, and build a far better song in three weeks if you're only going to write one than if you're going to write 30 in three weeks or as many as you mm-hmm. can in three weeks. You might still come back with one. Hey, you might be McCartney. Well, no, that's not his crap. You might be Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> you ever notice that McCartney can't write an entire song? Well, every song he writes, it's, it's always like four pieces, and each one's different. You know, Venus and Mars are all like, everything changes all the way through the bloody songs. That's why I said McCartney died in '68. Yeah, and this right. this uh, Billy Shears guy from Canada. Yeah, he, he he couldn't ever write a full song. All, all they had left was bits of leftover songs that McCartney had started, and this has stuck them together. Right. That's my theory. No, it's, it, I, yeah, I just cool. can't come with that analogy. You know? Okay. I just, just, I, 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 get, I get what he's trying to say, but as an, oh, I don't know. 
And, I, and, and you, you inherently also feel a bit the same way because you think you would rather craft one thing well. Would you rather Maybe. finish? Would you rather finish twenty ad hoc audio books in three weeks, or one really good one? One really good one. There you go. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 I think we all would. Would you? Would you like to sleep with thirty women in three weeks, or one really good? One? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the thirty, thanks. <laughs> I'm just I'm saying. See, it all depends on the analogy you yeah, use, Bruce. Yeah, to go there. It all depends on the analogy, you know. Well, good luck to her. No, and I'm sure she'll she'll do very well. Um, I hope she studied business. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I hope, yeah, that, that, she did say that the, the yeah the business side of it and the marketing side of it was uh, very much a, a learning curve. Yeah, and that, that's the most important. But the, you know, the marketing not so much because if you're good, that'll kind of take care, word of mouth will kind of take care of itself. Yeah, yeah. But you could be the world's best photographer. If you can't run a business, you're going to go bankrupt. Yeah, you know, doesn't matter how good. You, that's why some really average photographers make an awful lot of money, and some really amazing photographers do uh, do other jobs. You know, it, it's a, it's it's not about the skill. It's not even it's not even really about the marketing. It's about the your ability to stay afloat. You yeah. know, to handle the challenges, to handle cash flow, to handle taxes, to yeah, you know, all insurances, all all the all the horrible, boring stuff. You know. Uh, yeah. And said so many photographers spend so much money on workshops, thank you, and, and spend so little money on business classes because that's boring. Yeah. But uh, anyway. Since 2005, Shutters Inc. has been a labour of love. But beyond the time required to produce it, there is also a financial commitment. If you find value in the podcast and would like to help keep the servers running, hit up the Patreon link, which is in the show notes. Even a couple of dollars a month will help. Much appreciated. Now, back to the podcast. Anyway, we'll push on with the uh, the comments. We got a whole heap from Paul Sutton over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the first one has a link to a Petapixel article comparing a Leica 2470F 2.8 to a Sigma 2470 2.8. Is there a difference? He replied, I say yes, and for once there is a reasoned and balanced comment in the comments. I found it so you don't have to do the research too much. <laughs> Quote, the amount of sycophantic hand-wringing over these two lenses has been highly amusing. People own way, way more OEM product than they'd ever like to know. Their darling camera manufacturers outsource a considerable amount in the end, and people should get over it. Between Casina and Tamron alone, there'd be tens, likely hundreds, of thousands of broken egos should the word ever get out on who's making what for whom. So Sigma might have their hands in someone else's optical phase. Why not? They're a highly competent manufacturer in their own right. The mystique we seek to attach to old school names that were once revered silicon deities is more self-serving than anything else. These near-religious attachments need to die. Well, photography's dying anyway, so it's... (laughs) <laughs> and then Paul comes back with, this reminds me of the wrecking crew in music. If you listen to just about anything rock and roll from the 60s, you listen to one of three or four key sets of session musos who did all the work. <laughs> Same with this badge engineering, I think. Keep up the good work and thanks for the podcast. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Excellent stuff. <laughs> uh, so we, we, we missed one from David Putzia. 
We did. Um, David said, I would like to hire Glenn, not Glenn, uh, yeah, to give his inspirational his photography is dead. Why bother speech to my local photography club, please? Well, I'm, I'm in, yeah. So I'll right. talk to the pet cat. I say it to them anyway, normally. So it's not <laughs> Uh, uh, you know. Next one from Paul. Glenn, I totally agree with you. Okay, no, preference- no, wait, 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 wait. No <laughs> point going any further, dude. That's enough. That's enough. That'll do, donkey. That'll do, That'll donkey. Do. <laughs> Glenn, I totally agree. Hey, I'm a married My- man. I'm not used to hearing words like that. Come on. <laughs> My preference is to shoot totally submerged underwater. Broken bones, illness and pandemics have put the kibosh on this for a while, hopefully to be resolved soon. Everyone tries to get the half, half over, half under shot, me included. That was invented by David Dublay, who built his first underwater housing at 12 and has really done all the underwater things. He is a Nat Geo photographer that everyone tries to copy. The Underwater Photographer's Bible by Martin Edge, the underwater photographer, essentially says, point up and also get the black negative space by effective use of the strobes and shutter speed. Every single photo that you like has this same element that are already created have a look including my underwater shots however having said all this what is the answer how do we find something else or style no one else has done before there is one i am trying to nail for my own personal satisfaction i'm trying to nail a specific style of shot one day i'm sure i will yes i am guilty of exactly what you're saying and doing glenn but we all are though that's the point. That's the whole point. We are all in the same rut of following the same bloody... And there's no answer, you know, but... Yeah. Keep shooting. That's not going to... Keep taking more of the same photos. Well, no. You know, I think, you know, the whole idea behind the... You know, remember when, I don't know, probably eight years ago now, there was a real craze on doing these you know, 52 portrait challenge over a year, you yeah, know, where you yeah. do one every week or you do one every day, a 365. And I think the whole idea of those types of projects was you get out of your system all of the crap you already know how to shoot straight away. Run out of ideas, you're saying? Yes. And once you have exhausted all of the things that you know, you are then forced into looking for other ways to shoot a self-portrait or, you know, whatever the, the project may have been. I've just had an idea flash through my head just then, doesn't happen often, <laughs> that a real challenge would be pick a style of photography you've never done anything about, never done. Yeah. Let's, let's say, for example, macro photography. Don't look up how to do it. Don't re- get any research and don't look at any photos anyone else has ever done. Buy the equipment... Go and do it with absolutely no idea what you're doing. Yeah. Work through all the frustrations. And this might take you a year to get good at, but work through all your frustrations, all the challenges, all the technical issues, develop until you get to a point after your your 10,000 photos, you know, until you're good (laughs) at it, to get to your 10,000 photos, and then pick the, the, your latest work, the work that you finally, oh, yeah, I'm really starting to get this now, and then go online and look up that type of photography, right? And see and see what you came up with with no external influence, 
with no no yeah preconceived ideas of what this style of photography looks like and see if anything original even came out of it that'd be very interesting (laughs) you know i think where that whole theory falls apart is that in this day and age it would be impossible for somebody to go out and try and shoot a style for a year without a looking at anything online that was in remotely the same genre or b resisting the urge to post the images that they've shot yeah but that's their own self-discipline problem that's not my problem (laughs) So, so the philosophy doesn't fall over they fall over that's what happens to the weak (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the weak fall over and die. The messiahs push through until they find the eureka moment. Right. To come out with something. I'm serious. You think yeah. you think the guy who invented the telescope had a whole bunch of you know, preconceived ideas? Possibly. I don't know. That's, that might be a bad analogy too. But yeah, that, that's why. The, that's why. The, that's why there's few masters and many followers. It's because they're weak. They don't have the dedication. Yeah, look at look at look at how it used, what it used to take to make a book. You used to get a priest with a feather and a candle and a bit of bloody ink in a freezing cold stone building with no windows. Yeah, in England where it's raining all the time and only three degrees, and it has to ha- and hands shaking because it's so bloody cold. <laughs> and to write every letter out by hand, copying from another book. Yeah, you know. And if he makes one little little jigger because his hands cold, it's gonna start again. Back to the beginning. It could have been on the. It could have been on the end. And oh, he's made a mistake with the dot. Start again. That one's no good. You know that's true mastery. So go find a castle with no windows in the middle of winter with a candle and your camera, and and take a million photos. <laughs> and if you make a mistake, start all over again. Start the year all over. Go get another castle. Start all over again. <laughs> There you go. But no, no one said it's easy to be great. That's why you can't. And, and Kevin says it. He's got a lot to learn. We all do. You know, that's the thing. It's it's. But it's how much dedication. What what your end goal is. If you've even, if you've got an end goal, you're in trouble. You know, because if you have an end goal, hey, <laughs> what happens if you meet it? If you get there, damn, that's not good. Because then what the hell are you going to do? You know. But yeah, if you're trying to master photography, you're on a fool's errand. Yeah. And. Uh, I keep going back to this. The only person you could possibly have any remote interest in satisfying is yourself. Because nothing else will, will make you feel good. doesn't matter how many competitions you win, how many medals you get, how many awards you get. Yeah, You'll never be satisfied unless you're satisfied in and of itself. I've taken that photo, well, I've printed it out, I'll just put it in that little book there and maybe I'll show my wife. <laughs> yeah, And if you can't be happy with just that, you're not going to be happy with anything else. Uh, it doesn't matter how good the photo is. As soon as you yeah. need someone else's, uh, someone else's, um, yeah, plaudits and, and, oh, you're the world's, that's the problem with Facebook, you're the world's best photographer, oh, then you're in trouble because, <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll, yeah. And I say this to almost every workshop I run and every talk I do, uh, these people, these cameras, like, especially camera club people, they put so much pressure on themselves for the monthly competitions. And so I'm saying, didn't you take up photography as a hobby for fun? Why are you yeah. turning it into as stressful as your real life? Yeah, why, 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 why is all this stress to be great? Why is it, be happy with the crap? Yeah. Now, if you could take crap photos and be happy because you've you got to go out and do it, and that, you're, you're far better off than the guy who's got to master every, every perfect landscape shot. 
Yeah, or damn, I wobbled whilst I was pointing my, my torch at the, at the Milky Way and now I've got to do the shot, you know. You're going to be a far more satisfied and, and probably, a, and frankly, probably a better photographer because, yeah, yeah, for your audience, which is you. Yeah. Yeah. And we can all go to an art gallery and look at incredible paintings. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. But yeah, if you get this start to paint to say, hey, I'm going to be as good as Da Vinci, well, you've, you're failing before you even start. Yeah. Yeah. That's another tirade rant for something. <laughs> and remember, all uh, the stuff we talk about, I'm guys, gonna, all I'm what? saying is that for anyone who listens to this podcast, yeah. nothing of what Bruce and I say is planned. We have no – we just talk, you know. So, so there's going to be flaws in the thinking, flaws in the wordage, as Kevin says, he's, yeah, because we're just free-balling ideas and thoughts and opinions and that I'm, that I'm slamming Bruce down and forcing my opinion on him. Yeah. When I want your opinion, Bruce, I'll give it to you. Uh... That's right. The beauty is, with my early onset dementia, is that by the time we finish recording, I've forgotten everything he said. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else do you want to talk about? So Paul, Paul uh, got a couple of more things which I'll just quickly He's rush through. Uh, one is a link to an article on abc.net.au. Uh, pinhole photography group that has set themselves up in a former morgue in Albany in the south of Western Australia. Yes, I read this article, less research for you. So I'll put that link in the show notes for anyone that wants to check that one out. Uh, then this one. Hey, now, this is re- I, I, I call bullshit on that too. Reviving oh. pinhole photography. What a what a bunch of pretentious <laughs> journalism, at the very least, <laughs> or a pretentious bunch of wankers in their morgue. You know. <laughs> Next. <laughs> now this is really cool tech. A single layer of carbon atoms used as a sensor, uh, with a link to a petapixel dot com article, and he said, "I'm expecting Sony to announce one of these any week now." <laughs> <laughs> Only one, surely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah like, I want someone to come out with a, a sensor shaped like a fly eye. You know? Can you imagine it? The sensor's like the fly's eye with those little nano. You could you could glue them to the fly's eye to a real fly. It's small enough, alive enough, and you could actually photograph it with the fly. I mean, everything would be mono because you don't get to one eye. But you know, oh, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Uh, and finally, another one on Petapixel. This was for the top-secret 1943 Russian photo sniper prototype lens, which <laughs> sells for 170,000. But it actually, Paul said, it actually went for 180,000 euro uh, or 213,700 US dollars. I did bid on the Russian photo sniper, but that sold for 170,000. Personally, I think really the only Russian lens worth having in the family, Paul. P.S. No, I don't have that sort of money. I did not bid, but it makes the story. I say, Paul, don't you hate it when you bid one sixty nine thousand and you busted to go to the loo? You go to the loo, come back, and somebody say, like, "Buddy, how, how bid you?" And you've run out of time. That happens to me all the time. You know, the amount of houses, I've, mansions, I've lost. Yeah, six point nine million. I make the bid. Quick, pop into the loo, come out. Six point nine one. Someone's bought it off. <laughs> the amount of money I've saved, though, Bruce. What have you got in your list? Nothing worth talking about. Uh, there's a thing Uh-oh. there on uh, on online training for uh, to teach how to fly drones properly or legally around people. Now it's a UK thing, but that might be still handy tips for anyone okay. wanting to do something. Now, what the, have you ever heard of a comedian called Bo Burnham? No. 
Really funny guy. Really right. Okay. But he, he, he just released, he just, he, he sort of went off out of the world about five years ago. He sort of, he sort of he had some mental issues, some, some, you know, anxiety issues and, you know, but fin- really funny young kid, comedian. He filmed over pretty much the entire 2020 a document, a, 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 com- a, com- a comedy special called Inside whilst he was locked inside. Right. right. And okay. A, it's remarkable. Highly recommend anyone get a chance to see it. Got, but what I've got there's a link to how he filmed it because his filming is phenomenal as well. Right. But what I, one of the reasons I, I bring it up, especially, is it shows the mental degradation that can happen to a creative person who's locked to their own devices inside a house with no outlets and trying to come out with stuff to keep yourself busy. It's, it's a remarkable show. Just. One of the best shows I've ever seen, and I could highly as in as in as co- theoretically comedy special with some real gravitas behind it. So right, um, so it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix, yep. and uh, and that doco, the, the the little behind the scenes things on YouTube. They'll put the link. Yeah, nice. It. But if you get a chance to watch it, oh, I see any of his stuff. His stuff is great. But right, if you if you're if not into comedy specials, watch this show. Yeah, cool. It's, it's it's brilliant, brilliantly done. And once you talk about concept and doing something that no one's ever really done before, and all those kind of things, so um, yeah, so that's all that's, that's all that's worthwhile talking about from my stuff. Nice. Yeah. Now I have a <laughs> I don't know what do I call her, whether she's family or a friend, but she is the the daughter of a cousin of mine uh, who lives in Brisbane. Her name is Celia Cole, and Celia has decided rightly or wrongly, to pursue a career as a commercial photographer. (laughs) And I thought it would be an interesting conversation to get someone in Celia's position who is very new in the career but uh, is pursuing it passionately and have a yarn with her now about where she's at and then, you know, maybe a couple of years from now we'll have another chat with her and see you know, what's happened with her career, where she's gone with it, what she's done, what's changed in the industry, what surprises there have been, all that kind of stuff. So, Celia Cole, welcome to Shutters Inc. Hi, thanks for having me. Good to be here. (laughs) That's all right. Now, just for the benefit of our listeners, how old are you now? I am currently 23, turning 24 this year. And how long have you been... Well, I know you've been shooting for a while, but let's let's go back to the start. Yeah. At what point in your life did you think to yourself, I'm interested in photography? Mm, I reckon I probably 16. I think I was heading to the end of grade 11 and I thought I was going to be a vet. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> I started doing chemistry and all the sciences and realised, oh, that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but I was doing a lot of hobby stuff um, because my dad was a little bit into photography, so I was doing a bit of playing around with his film cameras and his DSLR, so that's probably how I got started originally, and, yeah, good from there. So it was just from your dad that you that you picked up an interest for all of this? It wasn't any other, like, no other famous photographers <laughs> inspired you necessarily? Um, I think it was definitely dad to begin with. Like he had some cool travel photos from his 
overseas trips and I always liked um, the look of film and the way he took photos. But definitely, um, I guess, in the age I've grown up in, Instagram, I've had Instagram since I was probably 13 or 14. So I um, (laughs) have been (laughs) uh, inundated with lots of international photographers um, closer to my age, actually. And so I was pretty inspired by what they were doing. Yeah, for sure. Now, I... What I know of your work, I sort of saw the stuff that you were doing, you know, the beach photography and the surf photography. Was there anything yeah. that you were dabbling with before you got into that or was that kind of your your gateway drug, as it were? <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think that was probably the start of me realising that I definitely wanted to pursue photography as a career. I studied photography at university, as you know. So I was doing a bit of studio work um, for uni assignments and I really enjoyed working with people and doing portraiture and getting to know their stories and that transferred really well into the surf um, photography arena, just getting to meet strangers and have a yak and take their photo. So I really enjoyed that. So, yeah. So while you were doing that university, you know, portraiture photography was that digital or was that film or was it both or what yeah it was both um so first year uni they actually got us working majority um in film um so we were processing and darkroom all that kind of stuff yeah so I really enjoyed that and yeah and then progressed into digital and doing all the post editing and that kind of stuff later on wow and so the surf photography, that certainly was a passion for, I'm guessing, two or three years? Yeah, yeah, I think solidly probably two years, yeah. Yeah, right. And yeah. and I think you, you got a little bit of notoriety in that genre, like you were getting some interest from fashion brands and magazines and things, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I actually um, became an ambassador for Roxy for a little while there, which was nice. pretty exciting for me, yeah. Nice. And the thing I find interesting about that whole thing is that through that phase of doing the beach and surf photography, you were still shooting film as well. That You were not into digital at that point. No. Film is actually how I started getting into surf photography. Um, I had a friend at uni who started doing it before I did, um, and she was working on a Nikonos, which is a film camera that can go in the water without a housing, and I thought, oh, that looks so cool Um, (laughs) because my dad was a surfer, so I kind of grew up going to the beach a lot. Um, So it kind of just felt like two of my favourite passions coming together and I thought oh I'll give that a go so I bought one of those Nikonos myself and got a pair of flippers and um, did that for a few months and I thought oh this is so great so I ended up um, buying a, a big housing for my digital camera and kept going that way. Right I have to say I absolutely you know adhere to that notion of find something that that ticks boxes for you because if if you're enjoying it that much, it never feels like work. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've yep. I've always been that way with audio recording. You know, to me, yeah. I, I I love what I do. You know, and after thirty plus years, it it still feels <laughs> like a whole lot of fun. You know, um, yeah. So, at what point? Well, I I shouldn't make the assumption. Have you moved completely out of the surf and beach photography or is it something you still dabble in? 
Um, I think at this stage I probably have moved out of it. I'm not looking to kind of get any work out of that anymore. It was fun for a while but it wasn't super stable as a source of income or anything and, um, yeah, I kind of like being able to keep the beach as a fun place for me rather than just work. So, yeah, I've and, moved away from that a little bit. And these days what are you f- focusing on, if you'll pardon the pun? Yeah, I am a wedding photographer now, so it's nice. all a bit different, but, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And how do you find the, you know, the <laughs> there's, there's, this, <laughs> there's this adage that says you either work in the business or you work on the business. How do you yeah. go about finding the clientele and how do you balance that against the actual responsibilities of shooting and post-processing and delivering? Uh, it's been a bit of a learning curve, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's funny, I actually started weddings only three months before COVID hit. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was a real trial by fire in that sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was really luckily just, I run in church circles, so people are always getting married in churches. And um, I had a few friends of friends who asked if I would shoot their weddings um, before I even decided that I was going to pursue it as my business Um, and that kind of got me a start on the portfolio side of things and then once COVID hit I kind of had all this spare time so I built my website and Instagram and got all that kind of businessy side of things set up and then a few months later kind of work just started coming in slowly so um, it was actually probably a good way for me to start. Yeah right and you're enjoying the wedding photography? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I like the personal aspect of getting to meet the couples and get to know their story and then being able to be creative in the way that I tell the story of their wedding day. I find that really rewarding. Yeah. And so these days, are you shooting 50-50 film and digital or is there a skew towards one end or the other? Uh, I think for weddings, there's definitely the skew towards digital. I actually just bring a Polaroid camera along with me to take a few snaps throughout the day for them as like a little gift. But yeah, it's mostly digital now. Yeah, right. And what digital body are you shooting with? Uh, A Canon Mark IV. 5D Mark IV? Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And lenses? Uh, I'm a prime girl, so I'm shooting (laughs) on um, the 85, 1.2, the 50 and the 35. 1.2. 1.2. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Beast. I love it though. <laughs> nice. And do you feel like wedding photography is going to be your thing, you know, going forward, that this is going to be the main trajectory of your career path in photography? Um, that's a good question. I, I mean, for the time being, I would say yes, but mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, I'm only 23. Exactly. um, I've got lots of time, but I think for now it is. I, yeah, I really enjoy it and it's a stable kind of income. And um, yeah, I think for now it will be. Good stuff. Fantastic. I'll give you an opportunity. Has there been (laughs) any aspect to the whole of your photography journey so far that has come as a complete surprise that was maybe not what you were anticipating? Oh, I mean, it might sound like a silly answer because I think everyone who's already in the business warns you about it. But I, I think I did find it a little bit hard um, working with clients in their expectations of, you know, what they're going to receive. And I don't know, I think I found that hard, that communication element a little bit tricky to 
set up, I guess, in a yeah. positive way to start with, yeah. The, the whole idea of managing expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think that is a key business skill for anybody in pretty much any industry, really. Um, mm, you know, yeah. I, I, I know the same thing, you know, for myself as an audio engineer, when I was doing freelance work out of my home studio, you know, you, you always need to make sure that what the client is asking of you and what you're, you know, telling them you can deliver, you know, that, that all of those things align. And I guess it's exactly the mm. same for you with your, your wedding clients. Yeah, exactly. And I think working with people who aren't used to that kind of, like they're not used to getting photos taken of them, it's quite a novelty for them. So having to really explain it well and clearly um, is definitely a skill I've had to learn. For sure. And you've you've just uh, reminded me that not everybody likes having their photo taken. Have you, no. <laughs> have you come up with ways to help those people who are a little camera shy to to just sort of relax into the moment or the day as it may be with a wedding? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm personally uh, a very big introvert myself, <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's um, nice coming from a bit of personal experience um, that I can kind of relate with those people and be like, oh, yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I kind of have my little tips and prompts um, tell some jokes, play music while the session's going, get them feeling comfortable and usually within 10 minutes they're fine. It's just that initial kind of nerves having a wear off. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we will leave it there for now, Celia. Thank you uh, for, for popping onto Skype and having a chat. Sure. Uh, and, and particularly for facing questions without any prior warning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit nervous about that, but uh, it's, well. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So mm. we might check in with you in a couple of years' time mm. if the podcast is still going, which hopefully it will still be. Uh, we will check in with you and see where you're at and what you're shooting at that point in time and and, and just what you've learned in the you know, the intervening period from today through to whenever that happens to be. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to follow the course of your career and just see, uh, you know, where it goes and what changes you encounter and what what things surprise you and what things don't surprise you. And, yeah. Yeah. So I wish you all the very best. Thank you. Yeah. If people want to check out your work, what is the best way of finding you? Is it through your website, through your Instagram? What would it be? Uh, yeah, I would say probably Instagram. So my uh, Instagram handle is Celia Faith Photo with no spaces or dots. Okay. So Celia, C-E-L-I-A, Faith mm -hmm. Photo. Yeah, that's it. Fantastic. And your website? Is celiafaithphotography.com. Nice. Awesome, Celia. Well, all the best, and uh, we will catch up with you in a couple of years, I guess. Awesome. I look forward to it. Thanks, Bruce. All righty. So that's another episode wrapped up. I wish I'd been here to listen to actually talk to her now. That sounded great. She was. She was. And, and Oh, I've got one more thing. What's that? And I think I've just closed uh, a new A new photography podcast I want to promote. Oh, okay. Uh, it's actually a video podcast, so it's on YouTube. So It's my mate Cam that I went down to Tassie with. Uh, for and hang out with, and my mate Brendan running it. Right. And, um, and so this on... mostly the Down South Photo Show. There you go. Cool. So, new podcast, Down South Photo Show. It's a video on, it's on YouTube. 
a couple of mates of mine, Cameron and uh, Cameron's based in Tassie, great landscape photographer. Brendan is based in uh, on the Bellarine Peninsula here in Victoria. He owns uh, a couple of camera stores and was also a great landscape photographer. So they started a pod- video podcast and um, go show them some love because they're lovely guys. Okay. So it's not a podcast. It's actually a video series on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, vlog, a vlogcast. <laughs> It's, okay. it's, it's like it's like the, the the thing you do with with dark cabinet or dark table. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. You blur you blather to, but he's blathering to another person. You just blather to a microphone. <laughs> Excellent. All right, mate. Good to chat. Awesome. You too. Have, Have a, a good, good week, week, everybody, and uh, talk next week. Will do. School holidays starting next week, so I can get my dad jokes out. Excellent. <laughs> All right. See you, mate. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to Shutters Inc. For questions, comments, and feedback, email theboys at shuttersincpodcast.com.